I'm a big proponent of hiring people that are much, much, much smarter than I am and then giving them the ability to operate with a great degree of independence. Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I'd check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and this is part three of the four part special series we're doing with Patch of Land on crowdfunding and commercial real estate. So much of the crowdfunding discussion, at least on this show, has been around single family. And it's really interesting to hear the evolution that Patch of Land is undertaking into the commercial space. And with us, we've got a gentleman who's going to be able to talk all about that evolution and what it means to us, both as real estate investors and also people who are looking to invest in opportunities on crowdfunding platforms like Patch of Land and where Jason sees it headed. So we've got Jason Fritton, the co-founder of Patch of Land and also the CEO. So welcome, Jason. Hi, Joe. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, nice to have you on the show again and really looking forward to this discussion. Before we get into it, uh, best ever listeners, go check out patchofland.com forward slash best ever and kind of look at the information on that page while we're talking because there's a lot of good reports that you can um, learn from on the industry, crowdfunding in general, and then also different markets that Patch of Land's focused on, uh, both in residential and commercial. So, Jason, with that being said, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on right now? Sure. So you know, my background is in technology. Just to be honest with you, I uh, built a, a company working with uh, telecommunications networks, uh, generally for the public sector. And 
And uh, I've since now transitioned into the world of crowdfunding to be able to provide, you know, a level of reliable access into uh, commercial real estate through through patch of land. It's all been made possible by the JOBS Act, which allows us to uh, go out and very publicly uh, recruit borrowers and recruit investors and, and provide access between the two to make great projects happen. So you, you've been involved in the space since the JOBS inception. What was that? Was that 2012? Actually, that was uh, it was the Jobs Act of 2012. But the SEC enacted Title II, that piece of legislation, in September 23rd of, of 2013. So from that point forward, we've been able to, within you know certain uh, guidelines, be able to go out and you know on the internet or, or the radio or, or TV or even just standing on a street corner and be able to say, hey, we've got these great projects. We've got this great uh, rehab project and this group to you know repurpose in this commercial, this hotel deal and be able to recruit interested parties to, to be a part of that. So you're now able to stand on a street corner and, and say that, although with your technology background, you've chosen to do it online, which is probably smart. Because if you swore <laughs> people, unless you have an interesting costume, like a chicken suit or something. More. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you've got the platform and you've had this platform and you've had residential deals on Patch of Land, and now you're evolving into commercial and I guess my, my first question is, were there not enough residential deals to do or were they not profitable enough? Or are you, from a business standpoint, from a, a purely numbers, like financial bottom line with you as the, you know, the CEO of a company, is it more profitable to do commercial for you or were there other reasons? I would just say it's it's more of uh, an issue of available opportunity. So a lot of our real estate professionals who work with us at, at Patch of Land, they're not just doing you know a single family fix and flip, or they're not just doing you know a uh, multi-family uh, lease up and, and hold. They're also moving into retail space, and they're moving into hotels and motels, and so we wanted to make sure that you know we were providing a product and providing a solution for them as well. And in looking into that, we realized exactly how big that market gap was, uh, especially in the $1 to $10 million range. It's just, it's very difficult to get some of the, you know, the hedge funds, the PE companies or the banks to be able to fund projects like that in a responsive timeframe, in an appropriate timeframe. It may not be more profitable. Again, all of these, these projects can be very lucrative for everybody involved. It's more of an opportunity to simply expand our market grasp and be able to provide access to more product. When you look at your company and you know you were focused on residential and then, as, as you said, it, it sounds like as your clients were doing more opportunities into other spaces, you just saw a, a real opportunity, a need for that. And what are your thoughts on focusing on one thing versus focusing on many things? Because I'm sure as an, as an entrepreneur, you know, it, you've kind of seen this, both sides of, of the coin with that. So what are your thoughts with kind of one versus many different types of lending? Uh, it's a delicate balancing act. And it's a great question. You know, we, you really want to stay away from spreading yourself too thin. It's always been, you know, or big priorities here to be experts at something as opposed to, yeah, kind of good at a lot of different things. So we've had to be very careful on choosing which you know, new direction we go into. We only do debt. You know, uh, we only do debt transactions. We don't do equity transactions because they're so different. It's hard to make that scale, but it's hard to become experts at uh, both at the same time. 
That being said, when we have different asset classes, so we have more of the upmarket cash flow and commercial versus, say, a small multifamily, we're able to determine what the basic characteristics of those properties are. I mean, in the end, underwriting is still underwriting. You know, there are folks out there that are very, very good at determining what the opportunity is of a particular project, no matter what that asset class is underneath it. And if we can get those core competencies, if we can build it into our credit and pricing model, we can build it into our technology and be able to communicate that in an appropriate way to our investors. It's not it's not a whole different ballgame than, than what we were doing before. It's simply an expansion of the opportunity. Now, I think if we were to try and go you know, to a different entirely, you know, uh, vertical, like say secured lending on automobiles or, you know, on airplanes or something like that, that would be a bridge too far. I think we'd be spreading ourselves too thin, but at the same time, being able to significantly expand our market reach, significantly expand the opportunity we're able to provide to our real estate professionals and to our investors without fundamentally changing what we do, then it's good to take a look at that. Did you speak to the I don't want to use the right terms because I, I know it, it can be confusing. At least for me, it can be confusing when I say investor because investors could be investing money into the crowdfunding funding platform or they could also be the ones driving the deal. So in this circumstance, I'm referring to the people who are investing money into a crowdfunded deal that, that you all would have. Did you speak to them about the evolution before it happens? How does that work behind the scenes? And and how have you seen the response so far? Actually, it's been very favorable. They were a big driving force behind our, our kind of aggressive move into this new space. And it makes sense. So we, we have a lot of communication with our platform investors. And they want a level of diversification. You know, instead of just investing in single-family residential and say, family residential and tech, but at the same time, they want to be able to invest in different asset classes. So they want triple net in Texas. Uh, they want a, a motel in Arizona or parts of it to the point where they've got that level of diversification. They've got that level of exposure to different type of products and different types of asset classes that meets their particular risk appetite. And so we, we've, we've had a very, very favorable response. Uh, you know, we need to continually get better at you know, showcasing the different types of opportunities. And uh, as we move forward into you know this, the, this new segment, we will continually get better, but we, we really haven't had uh, much resistance at all. Uh, most of the, the uh, platform investors who invest in our smaller deals will also invest at a portional amount into some of the bigger cash flow and commercial deals as well. Do you see this evolution happening where other crowdfunding platforms that were focused on residential are going to see the same thing? Perhaps they're, you know, not as, haven't been around as long as you all have. So they haven't reached that point yet, but eventually they'll see the same thing. And do you see other companies doing the same type of approach and evolution? Yeah, undoubtedly. I, I think that uh, a lot of the bigger competitors out there will, will absolutely be moving into uh, you know, some more of the sophisticated offerings as they continue to, to grow up. Um, though I still think that we'll see some very, very skilled, very, very competent platform offerings that specialize in a particular focus. And they're going to have advantages in that that's going to, they're going to be so focused and so experienced in that particular Submarket that they're probably going to be better in that than, than anybody else. So there's still an opportunity to, to specialize, but I, I do think that you know, at this particular case, we're, we're attacking a, 
an industry that's been so fragmented and so dark and so opaque and so hyperlocal that uh, there's just so much opportunity to move into it and provide you know, this, this transparent, honest, open, visible solution. I, I think people are going to continue to offer as, as broad a, a product as possible, as long as they can still underwrite appropriately, as long as they can still provide a good service. If you, and I know you're probably on the go right now, as I'm sure most mm-hmm. co-founders and CEOs of companies are, but if you can take out your fake crystal ball right now out of your pocket and look into it really quick, and the crystal ball is one year from now, the predictions of what will happen within the crowdfunding space, what's it showing you? Well, I think you're going to see some consolidation in the space. Right now, I think there's some reforms that are out there. Some are operating successfully. Some are not. How yet. many? Somewhere around 200. Wow. And I think the top five of us have, have kind of differentiated ourselves. So I think you'll start seeing some of the, the bigger players pick up some of the smaller players over the next year. I think you'll see a continued level of sophistication in both you know, the uh, product offerings and the financial vehicles used within them. You'll see a lot more fund structures. And you may even see the beginning of a secondary market for these type of offerings. And I think it's going to become much, much more mainstream. You know, these marketplace lending lending platforms, these very visible portals are going to continue to, to grab market share. They're going to be, continue to become more well-known and they're going to become you know, much more dominant players in general. What do you mean by beginning of a secondary market for these offerings? Well, you might start to be able to see uh, you know, some unrated uh, securitizations as, as particular platforms build up a big enough uh, balance sheet or enough paper to be able to um, be able to provide that option. So there's always you know, there's a lot of risk associated with that, and there's always appealing economics behind it. So I think it's going to be inevitable that uh, you start to see some movement towards that. With a lot of people who do startups, you know, co-founders of a startup, I know there's an exit strategy, at least uh, thought of, maybe maybe not in your case, but at least there's an exit strategy they think of whenever they first start it. Like, well, we're going to create a company and we're going to make it worth X and then hopefully we'll get bought out. Is that a strategy that you look for in your company? And if, and regardless of your answer, I have a follow-up question to that based sure. on where you think other companies might be headed. And if you think you'll see larger institutions buy up these 200 crowdfunding platforms. Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, Joe, we're, we're honestly looking just to provide as good a service and as good an offering as possible. That's everything that's on our mind right now. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to become better at what we're doing. We're going to expand into more states. You know, in the we've been growing at uh, around about 150% quarter over quarter. We're expecting close to 1,000% year-on-year growth at this point. That's at the top of my mind in the short term. I mean, as far as down the road, we're keeping our eyes open to everything. This is a job that, uh, that I love. This is a job I loves, and we're playing to win here. So we we're uh, we're not making any overt moves towards getting purchased or or anything along that line to, at this point. It's far too early. However, we have had offers, and I'm sure a lot of other firms have at this point as well. And I think that's going to become just more and more commonplace as we become much more visible. Um, we become more dominant in, in, in the marketplace. We become bigger competitors to some of the existing infrastructure that's out there. 
Uh, that's just going to be natural. And that's why uh, Detroit Met, when I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation this year as some of the bigger players buy up some of the smaller players or some existing financial institutions are looking for origination arms and buy up platforms. I think that's going to become much more commonplace over the next 12 to 24 months. When you look at the evolution of patch of land from residential to commercial, is there a third step in the process? Is there residential, commercial, and then fill in the blank? Or is this essentially kind of a part two of the two-part series? So, you know, our job is to be able to identify and be able to service underserved markets, you know, where we find them. So if it's a good market opportunity, absolutely, we're not writing it off by by any means. But we do, and, and you hit the nail on your uh, on head earlier with your question about, you know, is it better to, you know, to focus or, or spread out? We we don't want to be able to get too unfocused. We don't want to be able to get too distracted by every tiny thing. That being said, you know, there's there's residential, there's commercial. There is new construction. There is you know, distressed asset, distressed note, and REO. There's still a lot of opportunity to move. There is non-QM, you know, consumer-based mortgages in the future. Um, if it's determined that, that the risk reward and the is worth it. Is there anything about the future of crowdfunding and the growth path that you all have taken and kind of brought along your investors? on the path that we haven't talked about that you think we should have talked about? I would just say we've become much, much more user-friendly at this point. So we've, we've literally grown uh, close to something like you know, about a 1,000% in 12 months. And so there's been a lot of changes in a very, very short period of time. We really appreciate you know, our, our clients and, and our fans and our customers are patience with us as we continue to transition into new things. I think we've done a really good job both on the technology itself and the feature set we're able to offer, on the tracking, on the financial vehicles that we're able to offer, just the response rate to you know the sponsors themselves and how quickly we can get them funded and how reliably we can get them funded. Um, but we've always been very, very proud of the fact that we've, we've generally been a first mover. You know, we were the first to pre-fund where we use our own capital to be able to fund the deals without taking it out to the crowd first and having to wait for that. So our borrowers always know that they can get the funding you know, when we tell them it's going to close. And we were the first to be able to launch the, a legal structure to where our investors, our platform investors, were directly secured by the underlying asset. We were completely compliant in being able to say so. And uh, we're going to continue to be first movers. We're going to continue to be first to market with different features. And we're very proud of that. How do you get to the point where you've got your your organization set up so that you're nimble enough to be a first mover? And what do you look for when you are a first mover within the organization? Because I know it depends on whatever kind of whatever we're talking about. You know, you're going to have to be a first mover in different types of research. And um, but just generally speaking, how do you set up your company so that it's nimble enough to react? or be proactive on things that you're seeing? I hire brilliant people, and that's pretty much the totality of uh, the answer there. <laughs> I'm a big proponent of hiring people that are much, much, much smarter than I am, and then giving them the ability to operate with a great degree of independence. If they know a lot better what they're, they're doing. As long as I keep everybody on the same page moving forward in the same direction, we have the same priorities, 
things get done very, very quickly. Amazing things get done very, very quickly. And when we bring the entire team together to be able to focus on a particular problem, we're able to pull off uh, some pretty amazing solutions really, really quickly. That being said, it's still a big challenge. I mentioned earlier, you can't just go chasing after every shiny thing. So we have to be able to stick to our priorities, stick to our focus, and make sure everybody is, is moving forward in the right direction. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show in this part three of the four-part series with Patch of Land. Just really interesting to hear how your team, you and your team have evolved the company from residential to uh, residential and commercial offerings, thought process behind it, getting a look behind the scenes on how you are being, as you mentioned, first movers in certain areas and then the looking in your crystal ball and looking into the future of where we're going to be at in a year with, uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's over somewhere around 200 crowdfunding platforms. There's going to be some consolidation that's involved. And then the challenge of evolving a company, but staying true to who you are and being really good at what you do and knowing where your limits are and doing that delicate balancing act. So Thank you so much for being on the show again and looking forward to staying in touch. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D dot com forward slash best ever.